All right, Luke chapter 12, begin reading at verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another, shows the popularity of Jesus, it is Jesus who began to say to his disciples, first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. He calls them hypocritical, referring not only to their lifestyle, but also to their teaching. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, verses 6 and 7, special focus this afternoon. Are, you, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Kids, are you listening to that? He speaks about two rather small things there that easily escapes our attention. He talks about birds, sparrows. He talks about hares, okay? And we're going to look at the significance of that, of Jesus' teaching. Now, on a more kind of doctrinal note, I want to draw your attention to question answer 27 and 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism. I'm going to read the question, and I want you to look at the overhead and we're going to say the answer together. And let's not mumble it. Let's, let's speak it out like we actually believe it. Okay? What do you understand by the providence of God? And let's say it together. God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as it were with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Now, on a more practical note, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. So we consider together what's historically been called the, the providence of God. I'm going to begin with this. Have, have you uh, ever had it where you are in a conversation with a, a fellow Christian, but, but uh, not a Christian, let's say, who is familiar with uh, our churches. Maybe they heard of our churches, right? We're part of the Canadian Reformed Churches. Um, and um, maybe they heard of this term that we use to describe our kind of theological history that we are Reformed. Maybe they heard of Reform and Canadian Reformed Churches, that kind of thing. But you, you, you get talking about life, and at one point... Uh, they, they, they talk about, or you talk about together, things that just 
things that happen in your lives that, that seem somewhat coincidental, and then your friend, probably from more of a, what we call a broader evangelical background, will, will say, um, oh man, that was, just a, you know, that was a God thing. So what I want to do is, I don't want to get into discussion now, we're going to get in discussion after the preaching just a little bit. Raise your hand if you ever heard that phrase, it's a God thing. Oh, okay, good, good. Um, because I thought it was just something that, that, that I faced in the U.S. on a never occasion. So yeah, but that was a, just a God thing. And, and I, don't know what you're, I don't know if you've ever had a response to that, but oftentimes my response is like, well, a, a couple of things. Like, first of all, what, what isn't a God thing? I mean, everything happens in this world through the orchestration and direction of God, right? There's no such thing as coincidence or luck. So that's the first thing. But you notice in, in, in a response like that, well, that was just a God thing. I, I get what they're saying. They're saying, well, that, that was something that was directed by God, and I, and I get that. But I'm not, it, it's, it's the kind of, it's, it's those two words that are kind of nebulous to me. They're kind of non-distinct to me. Like, what do you mean God thing? What do you mean by thing? And I kind of come away from that not feeling good about myself, but I come away from that feeling kind of thankful for the kind of history that I belong to and the kind of doctrinal training that I've, by God's grace, have received. And, and, and I'm thankful that we may say, you know what, it's not just a God thing, but this is, this is a result of the, of the providential will and care and blessing of God. And so, so when, you, when you look at the term providence, it's much more specific and much more filled out, much more muscular and, and beautiful. And that's, that's what we're going to be uh, considering here um, this afternoon. And in, 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 in reality, what we're going to look at is, is kids want you to listen to this. It's very simple. This is the, the basic theme of what we're looking at. What we're going to look at is this fundamental image of this hand, not my hand, but the hand of God. And it is a, it's a hand that directs all the affairs of human beings and all the affairs of what happens in this world. In other words, nothing just happens, but all things are directed by God. The big things, the big things, but also even as Jesus teaches us here, the very, very small things, okay? So I want to, I want to first begin with a passage and then kind of, kind of draw us back and forth um, with the, 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 what we call the catechism's treatment of what we call the, the providence of God, and it articulates it really, really well. Okay, so in our passage, very quickly, you find Jesus, um, in the broader context at least, he, he, he calls forth his disciples, so he has, he has 12 disciples that are closest to him, right? In, in the beginning, I don't know if you know this, but we've covered this before in this church, that in the beginning, Jesus really had hundreds of followers. We could say hundreds of disciples. But there was a, a core group that he worked with and that he taught and that he lived life with, and that's 12 disciples. And Jesus called forth these 12 disciples, and Jesus commissioned these disciples. He gave them a mission. And what was the mission? To preach the gospel of the kingdom. He is the king, and he says... As the king, I want you to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom, which is not so much a place, but it is the power, the power of God to work in this world, the power of God to renew all things. Very important. And Jesus says, as my disciples, as you, you need to understand this, as you bear this message to the world, you're going to find some people are going to be on the receiving end, and they're going to agree with that, but there are going to be many more who are opposed to it. 
Because the gospel by nature is offensive. And we need to get that in our noggins as, as a church, right? And many churches that are faithful gospel do realize that the gospel is by nature offensive. I, I know that, that I've spoken about this U.S. Supreme Court decision. Isn't it amazing when, when the good news of life is preserved, people get very, very angry because they don't want their autonomy or their self-rule challenged. When Jesus calls us to himself, he basically says you need to deny yourself and you need to die to yourself. Not assert yourself, you need to die to yourself in order that you might find life in me. And many people don't want to do that. Many people want their autonomy. They want to rule themselves, and they're offended by that. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that you're going to find that many people are offended. In fact, Jesus says, I send you actually out in the midst of wolves, wolves that are going to growl at you, wolves that are going to try to tear at you, wolves that are seeking to destroy you and devour you. But you don't have to fear them. And here's the reason why. Yeah, they can kill your body, but they're not going to kill your soul. Should I tell you who you should fear? Don't fear them. Fear God. Revere God. Respect God. Do His will. But as far as they're concerned, do not fear. Why? Because though they can take your body, they can't take your soul. They can't take your spirit. For you are in the hand of your Father. And He knows you, and He knows what you need. And He loves you. And so it's going to He's always going to care for you, and you will always be his, as we saw this morning, his treasured possession. Then Jesus makes a statement in verses 6 and 7. He says, I tell you, fear him. And he says, are not, kids, listen to this, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Um, The gospel writer Matthew also records this incident, and instead of saying, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not one of them is forgotten before God. Matthew says this, not one of these sparrows falls to the ground without the will of your heavenly Father. And then he goes on to say, um, why even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are more value than many sparrows. Jesus' basic teaching is this, and it's very simple. Jesus says, you know what? You got sparrows and you got hairs. God knows the hairs of your head. And he knows the sparrows as well. And you know what? He is in control of them. And even with the sparrows, he cares for them. And you know what? If God cares for the sparrows and he knows the hairs on your head, if God is in control of these very small things, is he not in control of your life? That's, that's, the, that's the pastoral uh, application of the passage. But I want to talk about sparrows and the hairs as, as part of the overall what I call providential will of God. God, we could say in this sermon, is God not just in the big things, but especially the small things. In fact, his providential care is probably most astoundingly seen in the small things of life, like sparrows and hares. So kids, want you to listen to this. Jesus talks about sparrows. You know what a sparrow is, right? A sparrow's not just a bird, but a sparrow is it's not exactly a real prized bird. Okay, so since coming to the valley here, it's been a a wonderful uh, joy for my wife Joy and myself to look out the window of our home and every once in a while we see these bald eagles that are flying. Now there is a bird of grandeur, there is a majestic bird, 
But, you know, when the, if a sparrow flies by, we don't even notice. I mean, what's a sparrow? A sparrow's not a prized bird. Sparrow's not prized for its beauty. Sparrow is not prized for its singing ability. Right? Do you notice in the last few months after this cold season, you go out early in the morning or you go out at night and you hear these songbirds. And I, I remember that from the Midwest where I grew up in the United States. These robins. I love the sound of the singing of robins. But, you know, sparrows are not known for singing. Sparrows are not known for the beauty. Sparrows are not known for, for, their, for their flesh. You don't eat sparrow. Right? It's not like you go to a fine restaurant and the waiter comes by and he's, he welcomes you and he says, and the special tonight is roast sparrow with a wine reduction. You know, you're not going to get that. You're going to talk about pheasant, you're going to talk about duck, right? but you're never going to get a sparrow on your plate. In fact, when I was a kid growing up in the Midwest, when I was about 10 years old, and some of you kids can maybe identify with this, I had a rat pack of boys we hung around with. We'd grab our BB guns at that time, and where would we go? We'd go to a local town dump. Right, and there in the dump and all the garbage, there, there's where the sparrows were. There were hundreds of them, and that was, our, that was our target practice, right? And no cop ever came by and said, what are you doing shooting sparrows, right? Now, if it was a blue jay, if it was a robin, we'd probably get into trouble. Not a sparrow. Okay, you get the point. Sparrows, sparrows are common birds. For a lot of people, they're worthless birds. And yet Jesus says this. This is the main point. They're not forgotten by God. He knows them. In fact, even more so, not one sparrow falls to the ground without the will of your heavenly Father. That's called control. It's called the orchestration and direction of God. And then what Jesus does, moving on, Jesus moves from sparrows, he moves from a small thing to an even smaller thing. The hair is on our heads. Now kids, if you've got brothers or sisters, you know what, you can go home and, I'm not telling you you should do this, but you know, Say, you, say if you're a brother and you have a sister, you go up and say, yeah, let me take a look at your head. And you start going through the head and say, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to try counting your hairs. You know, I was going to say good luck with that, but that wouldn't really fit in with a sermon, would it? But you know, you're going, to, you're going to look at the hair and you're like, you're not even going to begin. There's no way you can count all the hairs of your head. But then again, we're creatures. We're not the creator. The creator God, the Father, I mean, think about this. He knows each and every one of us. Some have a lot of hair. Some have hardly any hair. Some have have medium amount of hair. But he knows each of us individually, and he knows all the individual hairs of our heads. God in the small things. I mean, that's how do you how do you even begin to wrap your head around that? So here's the point. Jesus is teaching us is regarding the providence of God that, that God knows all things and he controls all things. He knows all things, he knows even the hairs of our head, and he controls all things that not one sparrow shall fall to the ground without the will of the Heavenly Father. What do you call that? You call that not a God thing. You call it the providence of God. Now, with that in mind, I want to draw your attention, if you will put that up on the screen, question answer 27. Of uh, There we go. Okay. I want you to follow along with me. I want to make a few comments on this. What is providence? Here we go. God's providence is His, and here we see the muscle of God, the almighty and ever-present power of God. Notice, it doesn't focus so much on what God does, but who He is as a God of power, and that power is ever-present. The power of God is never non-existent. It is never intermittent. That means it's, it's sometimes he exercises it and sometimes he doesn't. God always, in some fashion in the world that he made, is always, always exercising his ever 
omnipresent power that stands behind his providential will. Now, as we move on, we see the ever-present power of God. And with that power, as it were, hey, kids, notice this. Here we see that, 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 that image of the hand. With his hand, he does two things. And, and the verbs that are used here are very important. And bear in mind, as we go through the catechetical series, the authors of this catechism that we're going through chose their phrasing and chose their wording very, very carefully. They didn't slap this thing together. So what God does with his every present power, with things that happen in heaven and earth, is he, the term that is used here is he upholds. Theologians talk about the preservation of God. He preserves, he created all things and he preserves it. He holds it up so it doesn't come crashing down. But more than that, he rules over everything. He governs, he, 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 he governs all that takes place. Even the smallest of molecules are in the palm of his hand. Now, he governs everything so that, then notice, leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful barren years, food and drink, health, sickness, riches, poverty. I mean, there it gets very practical. And what is it, what is it really saying? It's basically saying, in the small things and in the big things, in the significant things and in the insignificant things, in good times, also bad times. There's nothing that just happens in this world and happens in our lives apart from the orchestration of his hands. As it says here, things do not come by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Now, I got an in-home crowd here, right? I mean, uh, many of us, probably most of us, um, grew up with this kind of understanding that, that God, God is never a God who just kind of, you know, sits on the sidelines like a dad watching a soccer game or a hockey game or whatever, and he's just watching the, the action take place. God is always involved, always involved, right? And the thing is, is that um, there are many people in this world, however, that don't necessarily really buy into this. Now, if you don't buy into the providence of God, then what do you got left? What do you got left? You got two things that many people talk about today, chance and fate. You know the difference? Kids, when things happen by chance, that's, that's people's way of saying, well, whatever happens in this world, whatever happens in my life, it just, it just, it just happens. Nobody's got any control of it, right? So, so, so chance is like, you know, if you got a coin, flip of the coin or the luck of the draw. You, you flip that coin in the air. Sometimes you get this before football games. Who's going who's gonna to do the kickoff, right? You flip that coin in the air. Up, up, up it goes and twirls down and you're like this. Everybody's waiting. Everybody's waiting. What's it going to be? Is it going to be heads or going to be tails? And it's like the, the, the non-Christian says, don't really know until it lands in the hand. The Christian says, oh, we know. I mean, or we should say we know it's going to be heads or tails, but God does. God not only knows it, God directs it. He directs all things. But many people believe that just things happen in this world. On the other hand, there are many people who say, I don't believe in chance, I believe in fate. What is fate? Fate is really direct opposite, the other side of the coin of chance. Fate, if, 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 if people who believe in luck or chance say everything just happens randomly, it just happens in this world, people um, who understand fate basically say this, no, 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 everything has been predetermined but by impersonal forces beyond our control because they can't recognize that there is a God. 
Or they recognize that there is a God, but man, he's on the sidelines and he's just watching. He's not doing nothing, right? But for people who believe in fate, if they don't believe in a God or a God who's on the sidelines, they believe that, well, you know, it's, uh, there's just impersonal forces at work that ensure what's going to happen in the future is going to happen. I think I mentioned this once before. For those of us who are older, remember the old Doris Day song? K Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. K Sarah, Sarah, you know. That's fate. That's fate. Okay? What providence does is providence says no to fate, no to chance. Nothing happens in this world randomly because we got God orchestrating all things by his ever present power. But we don't believe in fate either because fate believes in impersonal forces at work. We believe in a personal God. You see the difference. And I, think, I would like to think that providence is not only true, but it's a great comfort to the individual because we always, we always have a reason then. If we don't understand it, God certainly understands it. And we always have a God who, who never just exercises things willy-nilly or... Maybe if he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and says, I'm going to do this today or that. No, God is in a measured and a very ever-present, powerful way, orchestrates all things. Therefore, whatever happens in our lives, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. Okay? Well, um, usually when you and I think of providence, in God's ever-present power, let's say that the flexing of God's muscle in this world, we think of God exercising that muscle in the bigger things of life, bigger things that we also see in the Bible. Um, if, if, if you're not very familiar with this book and you start searching this book, you're going to see providence almost on every page. And when you read the Bibles, you see the ever-present power of God at work controlling all that comes to place in this world. For instance, we think of God opening up for his people the Red Sea. Remember that story. Or we think of God causing the sun to actually stand still in history. Uh, we think of God sending ten plagues upon the nation of Egypt, therefore sovereignly exercising his control and power over the pagan deities of the Egyptians. We think of King Nebuchadnezzar, where, do you remember him? He's the Babylonian king, and the Bible says at one point he's walking on his roof, and he looks over Babylon and he says, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty? God never takes that well. And so he humbles Nebuchadnezzar to the point where Nebuchadnezzar finally admits. He says this, literally he says, God is the God who carries out his will in heaven and on earth. And no one can ward off his hand and say, what have you done? Or Psalm 115 verse 3, God is up in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. That's not a God who's on the sidelines. It's a God who orchestrates all things, especially in the big things of life. But one final thing, and I want to start drawing to a close here. We not only see God in the big things, we see God also, and almost more powerfully, in the small things. And we see those in the Bible as well. For instance, you know, you think of, kids, you know the story with David, right? David, and he, he's, he's facing the mighty Goliath, and he's He's got his sling, zoom, 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 and he lets that stone fly, and where does it hit Goliath? Does it hit him in the ankle? 
Huh? Does it hit him in the stomach? Hits him right in the forehead, right in the most dangerous place for that giant. And down goes Goliath, and he hits the ground, and David takes his sword, and he cuts off Goliath's head. What do you think? Think God was just watching that from a distance? God's guiding that single stone. Or you think in the story of King Ahab, a wicked king in Israel, was not serving his nation well. And, and, and God, God had noted that he was going to take Ahab out for the good of his people. And remember, there was a battle. And at one point, uh, um, uh, a Syrian, I believe it was a Syrian soldier, and toward the end of the battle, um, the Israelites over here and the Syrians over here, and he takes, he takes his uh, bow and arrow, and he takes the arrow, and he flings that arrow through the bow, and it goes up, 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 and then it starts to go down, and where does it land? It lands on Ahab, but here's the thing. Ahab was wearing armor, but that arrow found the chink of his armor. That means that space, right, the chink in the armor so he can move his hand, and just that little sliver of a chink, the arrow goes in, and it ends up killing Ahab according to the will of God. Or you think a little axe head that floats during the time of Elijah the prophet. I mean, all these small things taking place. God orchestrating all things. Um, we see in the book of Proverbs where it says, the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So, God in the big things. More instances of God in the small things. I want to I say one thing. And I'm going to tell you a little story that is a true story to illustrate what I'm talking about here in addition to the stories that we find in the Bible. And then I want to start uh, drawing to a close because I realize it's a warm afternoon and I think I'm starting to peter out and you're probably petering out as well. So I want to, I want to share this with you. And kids, this is, a, this is a wonderful story because it involves a small child. When I was doing church planning in... Um, in uh, the Ozark region of southern Missouri, there was an elder that was in, uh, part of the leadership of uh, the church that I was pastoring. It was in Kansas City, Missouri, about two and a half hours away, and there, there were elders that were overseeing that church plant. And I would preach in Kansas City every once in a while, and I would meet with that elder, and we'd just have a lot of good talks together. Very gracious man, very encouraging man. And I remember I was around the dinner table one time, and we were talking about our respective histories. And he said, you know, I got an interesting story for you. And he said, you know, in the early 1900s, my great-grandparents set sail for America. They were going to immigrate from the Netherlands to America. And they got on a ship in the Netherlands, and they went to England, and then they went to Ireland, and they boarded a very large ship there um, that was going to take them to the United States. And there was a little boy of his, uh, I think maybe, maybe I don't know what it was, a grandpa or great-grandparent to this elder, whatever, but there was a little boy in the family from, from his relation, from his family, that was, that was looking over the side of the ship because he was noticing a big smokestack there and he was also watching people come on the ship and he was leaning over like that. And out of that smokestack came a little cinder, a little ash that floated through the air and it actually lodged in the eye of that, of that, of that boy. And it burned and it burned and he cried to his parents and so on. They said, we need to take care of this kid. So they, they took him off the ship and they went to seek some medical help and it took a while for medical help to come to see that boy. And in the meantime, they... they uh, they lost their ticket to ride, so to speak, and the ship had to sail without them. 
Anybody want to venture a guess? The name of that ship? Titanic. Now you think about that, you know, that's not a happy story, the Titanic. Many, many people died in the icy waters of the Atlantic. You think about that. If God did not orchestrate that ash, I don't think that was a random happening. But that little ash came and it penetrated the boy's eye and he just had to get off that ship. And then you begin to think like this, and I've thought about this already too. If, if that would have never happened, they would have perished in the Atlantic and I would have never had that conversation. You know, the, the incredible ways of God. How's the Apostle Paul put it? Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How inscrutable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. So, I, listen, I just, I want to I leave you with this. I'm going to change a little bit of the, of the ending here because I also wanted to um, address question answer 28. But given the, the warmth of this afternoon, I hate to cut things too short, but I want to assure you that next week we're going to deal with question answer 28 and we're going to deal with this issue of um, what, about, what about the terrible things that happen in this world? Some of you had terrible things happen to you or those who are close to you. And what do we do with the concentration camps during World War II? What do we do with people who died during wars? What do we do with those who are the victims of sexual abuse or victims of physical abuse and that kinds of things? Is that within the overall will of God? I mean, the whole sermon tonight is devoted on this, the hand of God orchestrating all things. Does that also include evil things? What is God's relationship to that? If you've ever struggled with that question, that's what we're going to be dealing with next week in connection with question answer 28. But I want to just leave you with this, and then we're going to pray. Fate and chance in this world are, are, are cold, cold, really, doctrines indeed. But the providence of God basically says this. Um, don't worry. As Jesus says to his disciples, don't be afraid. For your lives, indeed every moment, every second of our lives, are in the hands of God. And whatever befalls us, whether it be prosperity, adversity, God on the basis of Romans 8 says that he will work all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And we're going to pick this up more next week. And so um, let's uh, end with uh, prayer and then what I'd like to do is, um, and uh, if you want to get on my case after the, the sermon on this, I'm going to forego just the questions this afternoon, but we're going to have a number of questions that we're going to deal with next week. And so let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you, oh God, for your providential love and care. In, in many ways, Lord, it is, it is a blessing to know these things, but even more so, it's a blessing to believe these things, knowing that our lives are not governed by the cold teachings of fate or chance, but all things are governed by your hand, and that too, for our good. We thank you, O Lord, that your good always extends to us in Jesus Christ. We would be nothing without him, and he makes your providential will something that is good and for our benefit, and for this, Lord Jesus, we thank you as well. So these are the things that we bring before you, O Lord, tonight. And now, Lord, as we end with our concluding song, we pray that you will bless that to our hearts as well, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.